0: So I'm counting on you to defeat my daughter and crush her dreams, uh, and that'll be awesome. Uh, okay, so if you're a parent or if you've just ever been around small children before, you can relate to this. Our oldest child, for the first year and maybe three months of his life, I don't think ever once slept more than about 90 minutes, like in a row. Like, you know the feeling you have? Like, moms, you totally would get this. Uh, where you just feel like you're in a daze for like three years in a row. Uh, A few weeks ago, Pastor Rick and Thea, they were able to go on vacation, and they were gone for a week, and Aunt Cheryl stayed with their kids. And their kids are a little older now, so they're better sleepers, but you know, like the sleep deprivation. You don't get to go to sleep if the kid doesn't want to. And so we had like this year, year and a half of just uh, what I would describe as misery. And I got to leave during the day, so I can only imagine what that was like for Brandy. Uh, what that was like and so finally my mother-in-law god bless her she said you know what I'm gonna fix this problem have him come stay with me and uh, yes Micah, that was you and uh, what she did that we just couldn't do because we didn't have the heart uh, with our first child was she took him upstairs put him in his little crib bed thing shut the door and let him work it out I'll see you in the morning and whatever happens between now and then it's all on you little man And we got him back three days later, and literally he was sleeping through the night. Our daughter Hannah was born just a few months after that, and so we went from crib to bed. And he would like, we didn't have to put him to bed. At like a year and a half old, we're like, hey, man, go to bed. And he'd just go. It was amazing. Uh, My mother-in-law is like the baby whisperer, so if you have problems with that. Uh, But I just remember the feeling when he came back home that first night and slept through the night, and I like woke up and realized what had happened. It was like, oh there is a God, and he's with me, and he's good, and it was just so easy to be happy and excited about this new thing that may or may not have been a big deal, but have you noticed in life like when things go well, things go your way, it's just easy to see God's glory. It's just easy to be thankful. Uh, This last Thanksgiving uh, went pretty much according to plan for me. I had tons of things to be thankful for. Uh, It looked like a lot of other Thanksgivings, though. It was like me and my brother-in-law posted up in front of the TV with really full stomachs and with no intention of moving. Uh, that's basically how it went down. Uh, but it's just so easy when things are good to be thankful for what God's done in your life. Like some of life's big moments, like when a healthy child is born into your family, uh, it's really easy to appreciate the goodness of God in those situations. Or uh, when the financial ebb and flow of life is flowing inward, it's so easy to be like, God, I'm just thankful for all that you've done. I mean, when you're on a mountaintop, Uh, both literally and figuratively, it's easy to see God's glory, isn't it? You ever climb to the top of a hill where you can just see for miles and miles, and you're like, oh my gosh, God is amazing. I can't believe he made all of this, and then he put me here to enjoy it. Like, this is incredible. But likewise, literally and figuratively, when you're in the valley, it's really hard to see God's glory because everything's kind of closed in around you when you're struggling with worry or fear uh, it can be hard to see God's glory in those times. or When you feel the weight of anxiety or discouragement or depression, uh, when you feel like uh, things are not going well when the financial ebb and flow of life is going the other direction, it can be really tough to see God's goodness. And today we're going to talk a little bit about experiencing God in the valleys. Uh, and What it's like in the difficult times, because even at Christmas, um, that can be part of our experience. In fact, uh, you probably are familiar with... The statistics that uh, things like depression and suicide and discouragement and divorce, these kinds of things, they, are, uh, they sort of peak at this time of year. So, uh, so we're going to take a few minutes and just talk about experiencing God when we're in the valleys of life. And we're going to do a Christmas series that is cleverly named, as you may have guessed, God with Us. And it's built on this key verse that a lot of you will be familiar with. We hear it a lot at Christmas time. It's found in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23. It says, Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. Uh, Matthew, of course, lived uh, right alongside Jesus, uh, but he's actually quoting a a passage from the prophet Isaiah, uh, Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. It was actually written 700 years before Jesus. Matthew's actually quoting him, and he says, the virgin will conceive a child, and she'll give birth to a son, and his name will be God with us. Over the next few weeks, we're just going to talk about this idea that God is with us, the idea that God is personal. Uh, He both literally came down uh, in the form of a man. We know him as Jesus Christ, Uh, but he's also spiritually with us even at this very moment. Uh, So today we're going to talk about the valleys, but not to worry. Uh, Next week is the mountaintops, so you want to be here uh, for that. That'll be good. Uh, But here's just a point of fact that is both literally true and metaphorically true that in order to have valleys there has to be mountains you don't you don't have a high point unless you have a low point Uh, mountains are high because compared to the territory or the terrain around them they're much higher elevation brandy and i used to live uh, about 45 minutes south of seattle we we maybe don't appreciate it as much because we have seattle like right here in our kind of corner of the world but I swear on like a beautiful, sunny, clear day, Seattle is the most beautiful city that there is anywhere. I haven't been to them all, but it is amazing. You're like, you got water, you got the sky, the skyline, you got the mountains, you got Mount Rainier over there. And Brandy and I live about 45 minutes south of there. and As the crow flies from our living room is probably maybe 35, 40 miles from Mount Rainier. Uh, close enough that when you look out the window, it's like, it's like right there in your face. It just... Never got old, never got tired of of looking at it. In fact, Pastor Rick has actually been to the summit of Mount Rainier. I can't really imagine what it looks like going the other direction. Did you see my house when you were up there? No? No? Okay. Uh, But it's just incredible. If you spent any time there, you know what I'm I'm talking about. Well, What makes it so amazing is that compared to the terrain around it, uh, it's just so much higher. There's lower terrain all the way around the mountain. There's valleys, low places. Now think about that for a second, just in the context of your own life. In order to have mountains, in order to have high places, there has to be something lower to compare it to, right? If, if all of the terrain was just the same elevation as Mount Rainier, it would just be a plateau. It wouldn't be impressive. Well, the same is true in life. Have you noticed that you appreciate the good times much more looking back on the hard times that it took to get there? Uh, that's, that's how life works. In order to have mountains, there has to be valleys, I wish that wasn't true, but I think most of us have lived long enough to realize that. So uh, I'll just share with you how this maybe played out uh, once in my life. Uh, in, uh, back in 2008 uh, was sort of the beginning of the recession in our, in our country, and uh, I was kind of living the dream. Um, Brandy was a homemaker. I had a job. I worked at a church that I loved, had a great relationship with the other staff there. We enjoyed our, our church. We had this little posse of rugrats uh, our oldest, Micah, was four, and our youngest, Ezra, was just a few months old, and uh, things were just going generally well. Life was simple back then, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say so, babe? And, uh, but good. It was awesome. And uh, so we're going along. We're going through life. And have you noticed how you can have a thousand things going well in life, but then like one thing just sucks the joy out of it? Like everything can be perfect in your life, but you stub your toe, and you care about nothing except the toe. Like nothing else matters. And... Uh, so I, I'm going along, I'm going through life, and uh, I had a meeting uh, with the senior pastor and the admin, the admin pastor there one day, and the conversation went like this. Uh, hey, you probably observe everything that's happening in the overall economy, that's also hitting the church too, so we're actually going to eliminate half of the staff at the end of the year, and you were the third most recently hired person, so you're going to be one of them. Now they said it a lot nicer than that, but I just cut into the chase, uh, that, that was the idea, and it was about this time of year, it was actually right around, uh, right around Thanksgiving time, and so, uh, so here I am, uh, my family's doing awesome, my needs are met, I'm loving my job, loving my church family, going along, everything's good when I walked into that room. And when I walked out of the room, all the hundreds of things that were going really well were still going well. Only one of them had changed, but which one was I just tethered to? The one that was just sucking me off the mountaintop into the valley. Uh, that's, that's how it works when the hammer drops on one thing. Now, probably all of you have had some kind of an experience, things could be going awesome. Maybe family's doing great, uh, but you have anxiety about your financial situation. Uh, or maybe the job's going good and marriage is awesome, but one of the kids is not doing well. Or uh, maybe job's great and family's doing awesome. I got a circle of friends and my, you know, everything's going really well, but I have a health situation or someone I love. The one thing is the thing that's going to just grab a hold of us and try to pull us off the mountain. And it begs the question, I have all these things going really well, but over here, God, where are you? God, where are you in this? God, I need you to come through. Uh, Where are you? We need to see God move in the one place uh, that we're hurting. The Bible uses the word valley uh, as a metaphor. You notice as you read through the Bible, most often when you see the word valley, it represents like a dark place, a lonely place, A painful place. It represents a place generally of subtraction. It represents times of desperation, times of pain, or times of anxiety. Uh, I think probably all of us are aware of the unfortunate reality as a human, that in the valleys, that's when I grow. When I'm on the mountaintop, I'm cruising. Uh, Bill Gates famously said, success is a poor teacher. And isn't that true? That when we're struggling, that's the time when we really grab on to God, Craig Rochelle says it this way. i have it up here on the screen for you. He says, we may enjoy God on the mountaintops, but we get to know him intimately in the valleys. Has it been your experience that in the difficulty, that's when you call out to God? That's when you seek after him relentlessly. When things are good, I mean, I still like, I still love God. I still talk to him on occasion. Uh, but when things are, are difficult, when I'm struggling, like uh, I have three little people and a wife counting on me to find out where I'm going to find a new paycheck, Uh, that's when I really want to talk to God. That's when I really want to be with Him. We learn to walk with God in times of subtraction, not during the times of addition. So I want to share this from this passage. It's in Psalm 84. This is kind of where we'll just camp out for the rest of our time. Uh, There's some really critical stuff right here, and it shows us what to do in the valleys. Uh, The verse is there on the card that was on your seat when you came in. Now, this is what it says. Uh, It's kind of interesting. It's not a verse that's going to jump out at you at first glance. Probably none of you has this verse on a coffee cup. Uh, but, But it's pretty interesting stuff. It says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, God, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca... Uh, Now you're thinking to yourself, yeah, no wonder I don't have this on a coffee cup. Uh, As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. They go from strength to strength till each appears before God. Uh, So I think it's fairly obvious. You're not going to see this verse on a meme probably this afternoon. Uh, It's not much there at first glance. But if you're using that paper that was on your seat, do me a favor and grab that and just underline the phrase, valley of Baca. B a k a. What is that? You might ask, and I'm so glad that you did. Uh, let me share with you what the Valley of Baca is. It's believed to have been named after a tree of the same name. Uh, the word baca and the tree that is named for it it actually means in Hebrew. It actually means literally weeping or uh, or crying. This particular tree it actually will ooze sap to the point that it just drips on the ground. Uh, and that's why we don't plant those anywhere. My friend Matt is a uh, sort of a closet arborist, maybe not so much closet. Uh, you, I'm guessing, don't have a baca tree that drips sap all over your yard. Uh, but that's what, it's, that's what it's named for. And so when uh, we see the Valley of Baka in Scripture, it's actually referred to in three different ways. It's referred to as the Valley of Tears, the Valley of Weeping, and the Valley of Loss. Sounds like a nice place, doesn't it? Uh, but it says here, blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on a pilgrimage, as they pass through the valley of Baca, which we all will, the valley of tears, they make it a place of springs. Generally, when we see the word valley used to paint a picture in the Bible, it's a place of danger or loneliness or vulnerability. Uh, one of the most famous passages of scripture, Psalm 23, uh, uses it to refer to it as a place of Death, the valley of the shadow of death. So what does Psalm 84 tell us about going through the valley? Because we all will. It says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Blessed are those whose strength is in you. Now there's probably somebody in the room, maybe, or listening online, who maybe you're not a follower of Christ. Maybe you maybe you don't necessarily even believe in God, or maybe you do believe that He exists, but but you don't believe that He's personal. And engaged in your life. Uh, uh, this is not a criticism of that. I would just make just some, sort of an obvious point of fact that if you don't have a personal relationship with God and you're going through the difficult times of life, you're going through the valley, then what you have is all you have. Does that make sense? Uh, there is no other strength to draw on if you don't have a relationship with God. What you have is all you have. That's not a criticism, it's just a point of fact. If I don't know God intimately, then I'm not able to draw on his strength in the valley. Now the opposite is true for someone who does have a relationship with God, who does follow Christ. For the Christ follower, those who know God intimately, then when you get to the end of your own strength, what you have is not all you have. Does that make sense? Uh, it's like this. I was uh, I had a good friend. Some of you know him. His name's Ricky. Uh, known Ricky for years. Really close. Uh, he has a nickname. That's how you know he's a good friend. Uh, Ricky Bobby, I think, is the obvious nickname uh, <laughs> for someone whose name is is Ricky. And so, uh, Ricky called me up and he said, "Hey, could you come help me move?" And uh, I love Ricky. He's like a brother. If I if I called him, he would definitely be there. So yeah, no problem. There were some things I wish I had known before I got there. Uh, like the fact that it was a third floor apartment, that would have been useful information. I still would have come, uh, but I would have liked to have prepared myself mentally. Uh, I would have liked to have known that he had three couches, two beds, and the world's largest solid oak entertainment center. Uh, I think Pastor Rick actually helped us move it in or out. I don't remember at some point. Uh, But this thing was huge. I mean, it, it had to weigh in the neighborhood of like 250, 300 pounds. Massive, right? So... So we're getting out this entertainment center, we get it out of the U-Haul truck, and of course, somehow I ended up being the person going backwards, right? Um, so I'm, I'm doing this, but you know how when you're going backwards, you're doing like Charlie Chaplin walk, because you're trying not to like hit, your, hit your shins with the bottom of it. So I'm going, and he's just shouting out encouragements over on his end. You got it, buddy! It's all you! You're gonna make it! And if you know Ricky, you also know that he probably outweighs me by at least at least 100 bills, right? So for him, this is not as bad. Um, but he's just shouting it out. And then we get to the bottom of the stairs. And he's like, all right, man, you got it. It's all you. He kept saying that. It's all you. I, I don't know. I don't get it. But one thing I noticed was that every time I managed to go up a step, it leaned forward a little farther because he's, he's still down there on the sidewalk. And I would go higher and higher and more of the weight would like go his direction, which was pretty sweet. But by the time we got all the way on the stairs, this thing is like way out here in front of me. And it's like, it's like on his back, right? I'm just trying to stay out of the way and keep my feet out of the way. And we get up, we're on the third flight, and Ricky's just like, "It's all you, you got it, it's all you." And uh, I'm starting to of realize I'm like not doing anything. And I look around the corner, I look around to see the other side, and Ricky's like Atlas. He's going up the stairs backwards, just he's, it's all on his back. He's like, "It's all you, man." And he's just on autopilot, just shouting out these encouragements, and I'm like, "No, I'm I'm pretty sure it's not me." Like there was nothing. I could do at that point. I was totally useless, just trying to stay out of the way. And when I got to the point where I, I, just, I was in a position where I just couldn't do anything, he took over. Ricky Bobby took over. Thankfully, what I had wasn't all I have. As a Christ follower, when you get to the spot where you can't do anymore, where you're at a place where you're, just, you're, you're out of position, you're out of power, you're not in a position of strength, what you have is not all you have. You still have something to lean on. Keep going because it's not all you. You can make it through the valley because you don't got it, and it's okay. You don't have to have it. David said in Psalm 23, when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. He said to the Romans in Romans 8.26, he said, the spirit helps us in our weakness. In 1 Corinthians, he said, God's strength is made perfect in our weakness. It's not all you. You don't got it, and you don't have to, because what you have is not all you have. You have something more. It says right here, not blessed are the strong, not blessed are those who muddle their way through the valley. It says, blessed are those whose strength is in you. So if you want to know the first thing to do, probably the most important thing to do when you're in the valley of life, the valleys that we go through, the discouragement, whatever it might be, it's lean on God's strength. It's not all you, and it doesn't have to be all you. The New Living Translation says verse 5 this way. It says, What joy for those whose strength comes from the Lord, who have their minds set on the pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Jerusalem was known as the city of refuge or sometimes referred to as the place of peace. And If you read commentaries on this verse, uh, you'll find notes that sound something like this. They'll say something like, Sometimes to get to the city of refuge, you have to go through the Valley of Tears. Has that been your experience? Uh, I bet the longer you have lived, the more times you've seen that be the case. Sometimes to get to the place of peace, you have to go through the valley of tears. Now that's, that's been true for a lot of us. But it says right here that the joy, that there's joy, and that's God's gift to those who draw on his strength, who set their minds on getting to the city of refuge. Uh, I grew up in the 80s, which uh, was sort of like the beginning of like, Uh, not the beginning, but sort of the beginning of the popularity of, like, uh, new age theology, like the power of positive thinking. I don't know why there's, like, this huge bubble through the 80s and 90s, and uh, I blame Oprah mostly. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Oprah, if you're listening, I'm just kidding. Uh, But, uh, so I was, I kind of just, like, no one taught me this, but I just kind of went through life with this idea that, like, Uh, The power of positive thinking is just kooky and weird. And in a lot of ways, in that context, it is kooky and weird. But the Bible actually has a lot of things to say about it. For example, Paul told the Colossians in Colossians 3.2, he said, set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. He told the Philippians in Philippians 4.8, he said, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent or praiseworthy... Think about these things. Think about these types of things. Brandy and I, a while ago, we went to uh, an event for, uh, that a local youth ministry was doing. and uh, Specifically, we went because our kids participated in it. But the youth pastor who heads it up, this is so crazy for me, he was a student in my youth ministry uh, a few years back. And uh, so it was a total psych out because uh, my kids are actually older now than he was when I was his youth pastor, so it's pretty, pretty wild stuff, uh, both rewarding and makes me kind of sad uh, to see him all grow up. But uh, so we were there and one of the things he talked about was so interesting to me. You know how uh, when you're young and or just, you know, in a stage of insecurity, sometimes you'll do things that are like kind of out of character just to get like a desired response from other people. So he would say how, you know, sometimes kids will uh, act sad or depressed to try and and get a response from the people around them to get attention. Uh, Now, I think we probably all know you don't have to be a kid to do that. Uh, Sometimes adults do that, too. But one of the things he said was occasionally, surprisingly often, he said, what will happen is kids will make a habit of doing that, just kind of being sad to get attention. And they'll continue to do it and continue to do it. And they're setting their mind on this idea. And eventually they end up in a real honest depression. And they have no idea why other than they convinced themselves to do it. This is how the mind works. Uh, Setting your mind on the appropriate thing makes a huge difference. Your situation right now, it might be the valley of tears. That might be where you're at. But your mind can be set on a place of peace. You might be in the valley But God's word is a lamp for your feet and a light for your path. You might be in the valley, but surely his goodness and mercy will follow you all the days of your life. You might be in the struggle. I might be in the struggle. But it turns out that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Uh, These are the things that we have to set our minds on. What I have is not all I have. What I do know is that I'm going to the mountaintop. And if I have to go through the valley to get there... God is going to be with me. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. I'm going to pass through the valley. I'm not going to settle down here. I'm not going to set up camp here. I'm just passing through. Remember a few, uh, it's been a couple months ago now, we were talking about, as we're going through the story, uh, how the Israelites came out of slavery in Egypt, and they were on their way to the promised land, this great place of peace and prosperity that God had set up for them. But they got bogged down in the desert for 40 years. Uh, and we can sort of read that story and be like, 40 years, seriously, you couldn't figure it out in 40 years? Uh, but what happened was they set up camp in a place that they, they were meant to just pass through. Uh, most scholars say they theoretically could have made that journey in about 11 days. Uh, but they set up camp, and they just put together a settlement right here in a place that they were meant to pass through. And I think what I want to say to you is don't settle down in the valley. Don't get comfortable in the valley. You're passing through. Notice the phrase, they make it a place of springs. The King James Version says they make it a well, a spring of water or a well for water, same idea. As they pass through the valley, they make it a place of springs, or they make it into a well. This is kind of a weird phrase, but uh, there's two kinds of wells that are prevalent that I'm aware of. The kind that's Prevalent in this part of the world is, you know, if you built a house out in the country or something like that, where there was no municipal water, you would drill a hole to where there was groundwater and then pump it up somehow. Praise God, we don't use the bucket and the rope anymore. Uh, We use electricity, uh, but there's that kind of well. We extract groundwater. Uh, What's common in this day and age in the Middle East, in this part of the world, what they would do is they would go out into the desert and they would just dig big holes, so that when it rained, you ever see like video of the rain in the desert, how it just like floods over the whole terrain? Well, they would dig big holes so that when it rained, they would fill up. They could capture the water. That was, that was the type of well that they would build back then. And that's, that's what he's, he's talking about right here. Now, get this though. You can't wait until it's raining to go out and dig the hole, right? You can't dig the well before, you can't dig the well after it rains. You gotta make the container before God's provision comes. So let me give you a couple examples of this. In Mark chapter 3, Jesus sees a man with a withered up hand. Remember that story? And what does he say to him? He says, stretch out your hand, and then he heals it. He doesn't heal it and then say, stretch it out. Or remember, he comes across the the 10 lepers, and what does he say to them? He says, go show yourself to the priest. That's in Luke 17, uh, he says, go show yourself to the priest. And it says, as they went, they were healed. God, Jesus calls them to dig the well first, to stretch out their faith first. In order for God to bring me through the valley, I have to trust him. I have to follow his lead. So if you're in a dry place right now, by faith, dig a well that God can fill with provision. And what happens to us a lot of times is we get uh, jaded. You ever been discouraged? And then a couple months go by, and you're still like flustered by the same thing. And then a year goes by, and you're still bothered by the same thing. And five years goes by, Uh, we got to dig a well and prepare our hearts so that God can fill them with provision. Bible says, "Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you." I'm going to ask the band if they would uh, if they would come back up, really quick. Uh, Back in the fall of 2018, uh, when I was in the middle of my forced career change, uh, I started to pray right? I, I, initially, when the edge is on a situation, you know, you have a lot of anxiety, a lot of fear, your mind is sort of racing. Uh, but I started to pray, God, you know what I need, and I'm just going to trust you to provide for it. And I just let him take it. I actually kind of even felt a little bit irresponsible for not being more worried than I was, as strange as that might sound. But I just stopped worrying and started trusting God. It Doesn't mean I stopped looking for another job or uh, maybe, whatever your situation is, it doesn't mean you stop caring about it, but I stopped worrying and I started trusting God. Well, no million dollar donor showed up at the church. Uh, the economic climate didn't change overnight. Uh, my job did end at the end of the year, but God gave me peace through that process. He made me hopeful instead of discouraged, and He provided for my physical needs. Uh, obviously, I'm still here. Life went on, the sun came out again. And what happened because of that is that that situation was actually the catalyst for the next mountaintop that God wanted me to take take me to. I began the climb to a new place and a whole new season of some really wonderful, great things in our family's life began to unfold that never would have happened without going through that valley. And God's promise is not ever that you won't go through valleys. We all know that. His promise is that you will never go through them alone. His promise is that his name will be Emmanuel, that he will be with you. My experience looking back has been that that's really true. And I've learned four things from being in the valley, and I just made a little spot on your card. You can fill them in if you haven't already. The first one I learned is that without the valleys, there are no mountaintops. We go through the valleys to know God, to trust God, to learn how to follow him so that we can enjoy him and rely on him when we're on the mountaintops. I also learned in the valleys that it's in the periods of subtraction that God shows his strength. When I am weak, he is strong. I learned that all I have is not all I have. I have more than just what I have. I can, in fact, do all things through Christ who strengthens me. His name is God with me. Lastly, I've learned not to settle down in a place that I was meant to pass through. Uh, This is probably the most important one the most challenging one, not to settle down in a place that I was meant to pass through. No valley is going to be my home. I have decided that. As I go through life, no valley is going to be my home. I might end up stuck there for a little while, but I am not setting up a camp here. I'm not spending my life here. No valley has to be your home. You're invited into God's family. You're invited into His home, to trust in His strength. So I want to ask you if you would stand with me. Uh, Just is going to lead us through Uh, One song. I want to just invite every person here. We're coming up to Christmas. A lot's going to be going on. Uh, But I want to invite you to put your hope in Him today, to trust in Him anew, whether you're in the valley now or you're on the mountaintop now. Psalm 84 says, Blessed are those whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The autumn rains also cover it with pools. And lastly, it says they go from strength to strength till each appears before God in Zion. God's plan is for you to trust in him and receive his strength for this situation. And then in the future, to trust in him and receive his strength for the situation. And then after that, to trust in him and receive his strength. From strength to strength, until it's all complete and you're in his presence in eternity and he says, you know what, don't worry about it anymore. I got it all from here. He's going to be with you in every valley until that day. Lord, thank you that you have made a way, you've made it possible for us to trust in you and that all we have is never all we have because of you. Lord, I pray that you would help us in the classroom, uh, in the office, on the job site, in the home, in the grocery store as we go about our daily life, to be aware of your presence, that you sent your son to be with us. Pray you'd help us to learn how to trust in you, God, to actively put our faith in you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus says therefore I tell you do not worry about your life and then he goes on and lists all of the things that we could potentially be worried about and concerned about and the danger for us today as we get ready to go is uh, we can hear him say don't worry trust in me and then we can go out the door and do the exact same thing that we were gonna do anyway okay what I what I want to really encourage you to do is to trust in him offload the anxiety most of the stuff you're worried about isn't gonna happen anyway And a pretty large percentage of it might happen anyway, whether you're worried about it or not. But Jesus tells us what to do. He says, rather, seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Uh, The most commonly given directive in the Bible, as I often point out, is some variation of the phrase, do not fear. Over 150 times throughout the Bible, God says, don't be afraid. Trust in me. Uh, So when we go out the door, uh, don't just remember the phrase, but let's actually live like people who trust in God and believe that he's going to do good things in our future. Pastor Rick is going to come, and uh, he's going to kick us out. Yes, thank you, Pastor Kelly. You know, he's shared the story.